how much do you remember about the Clerks animated series? I remember that it was uh, six episodes. Do you remember that the mayor of the fictional town of Leonardo, New Jersey, was the mayor of McCheese? Uh, yeah, I do remember that. And it was in like episode two or episode three. There's like a viral outbreak in the town and everyone's asking questions to the mayor of McCheese. He's like, does anyone have any questions about the virus? Can the virus kill the Grimace? Nothing can kill the Grimace. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Nothing can kill the Grimace. <laughs> if, the, if the man exists who can kill the Grimace, I've not met him. Yeah, I mean, the the Grimace is like, you know, in... Uh, For God's sakes, his name means pain. Yeah. The Grimace is the encroaching whore. The Grimace is the shape that, uh, that you recognize in just fleeting glances when you awake at 3.34 in the morning. You see something, a shadow. It is rotund. It is. The Grimace. Get yourself ready for a trip to McDonald's land. One day, Ronald and his friends spotted evil Grimace running off with loads of shakes and zesty. Thinking quickly, Ronald disguised himself as a big Hollywood movie director. Wait! What a face! What beautiful eyes! I'm gonna make you a star! Surprise, and I'm a so, welcome back to the Splatterpunk's Scrimmage special. Yep, the, what are we on, part three now? Uh, part two, because, you know, the, the whole first thing was talking about things that weren't Christmas. Okay, yeah. You want to introduce yourself? Uh, I'm David. And I am Ness. And we are continuing our, uh, our hiatus from the usual horror content to get into uh, some uh, more general scrimmage classics yes and to start us off probably the scrimmage classic that has the most variations of it um probably yeah uh well i mean it's a public domain story so it doesn't cost anything to get the rights which means uh studios are free to make one pretty much every year uh thereabouts uh the earliest version i could find was uh 1901 so they've been making adaptations of this story for uh, 119 years that we know of. Yeah. Uh, and that story possibly, is... Possibly possibly some... There might even be some earlier than that. But uh, yeah, 1901 is the earliest that we know of. And that story is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Yep. The most recent adaptation I can find uh, is actually... From 2019, it is Dolly Parton's Smoky Mountain Christmas Carol. Well, that one passed me by, but yeah. Oh, sorry. Never, never mind. There was a there was one from 20. There was a film adaptation from 2022. So, mm. 2020 comma two, not 2022 the year. Yeah. I mean, but also probably. Probably yes. So, you can only watch, let's say, three versions of a Christmas Carol ever again for the rest of your life what would you choose since uh, okay. uh there's there's just not enough time to get into all of the different versions and all of their assorted minutiae yeah uh if i could only watch three adaptations 
for the rest of my life. I'm probably going uh, 1951 uh, Alistair Sim. Yep. Uh, originally titled Scrooge in its uh, native UK, retitled to just A Christmas Carol in the States. Yep. Um, and then number two, got to go with the Muppets. Uh, also a strong choice. Uh, I think Michael Caine as Scrooge is, uh, uh, you know, an incredibly underrated turn as the uh, as the character. Yeah. And for number three, that one's hard because it's probably a toss up between the Mickey Mouse version and the uh, Jim Carrey version. If it's me, I'm going Mickey Mouse. Yeah, uh, that one's better. But uh, I mean, I already have two good versions. I could spend the third version on just the most batshit one. Uh, yeah, I just rewatched this, I don't know, probably a week ago. Uh, I caught it on TV and... Uh, Which one? The Jim Carrey version. Okay. And I noticed that there were some bits that were actually cut out, uh, presumably for being too horrifying. Really? Yeah. Like... Uh, um, the the kids with the, uh, the Ghost of Christmas Present? Is that still um, in there? The, the spirits of ignorance and want were still there. However, the scene cuts before you get to see the ghost of Christmas present dying on the ground, cackling, <laughs> reduced to just a skeleton with eyeballs. Yeah, where the goat, where Santa Claus, you know, the green man, basically, uh, he, you know, just kind of disintegrates as the flesh melts from his bones. And he, you know, is just he just falls to the floor, cackling as a skeleton. alternating between cackling and writhing in agony. Yeah um man those those fucking zanekis mocap movies man (laughs) yeah this is also the version where uh scrooge is just sent to hell at the uh end of his uh vision yeah and there's also that weird there uh right after the in between like in the transition between the ghost of christmas present and future there's that like weird dead like cabbie of the from beyond the grave kind of thing chasing him and he's like, uh, that, he, that, he's that like, was the that was the ghost of Christmas future driving a hearse. Okay. I like to believe that it was uh some an of those inten- sequence. I like to believe that it was an just... intentional reference to uh the phantom carriage that I mentioned like two weeks ago. Possibly okay. Where death basically takes the form as a of a coach driver ferrying souls over to uh you know the 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 uh, the afterlife. Yeah, but I mean it's I mean I don't think that dickens ever intended the ghost of christmas future to literally be deaf i think he was supposed to be uh like the unknown or mystery or something like that but most out of as time has gone on the association between the ghost of christmas future and the grim reaper has just kind of become one now they are effectively the same character uh well my response would be in two parts um one uh for the Zemeckis version uh in particular you know the the one of the big appeals of the uh 3D mocap technology was that you know you could basically put the camera anywhere that you wanted and therefore do like movements that would not be feasible in live action mm-hmm. so yeah uh a christmas carol was probably always a a a bad fit for that since you know it's a very like stage play sort of story. Yeah, it works pretty well on the stage. Uh, which is the opposite of what uh, uh, a mocap movie should be. So that's why we get like 
Scrooge and uh, the Ghost of Christmas Present just like flying over London and the extended chase scene between Scrooge and the Ghost of Christmas Future. It's like, well, we we sunk all this money into the mocap yeah, tech. We we got to do something with it. Yeah, he's like, we got it. We got to use it. It's like, yeah, but should you? Uh, arguably no, but yeah. I mean, like the Christmas Carol is not an action-packed story. Like, I think that honestly, it's more the motion, the mocap shit was more well suited to like the Polar Express even than to Christmas Carol. Yeah. But that said, I do still like this adaptation just because it is so fucking weird. Uh, my second uh, remark was going to be, it's like. I always read the Ghost of Christmas Future as death simply because that is ultimately everyone's future. But reading it as uh, the spirit of the unknown is almost more interesting because then you can get into some weird Lovecraft shit. Yeah. You know, Lovecraft famously uh, quipped, the oldest and strongest human emotion is fear and the oldest and strongest fear is that of the unknown. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I mean, even even before... Uh, like if you really, if you want to like, you know, really dive into some like, you know, philosophy and theology and all that kind of shit, like before people even were aware of the fact that they die, they were aware of that there were things that they didn't know. Yeah. I mean, I suppose. So uh, I think even, I think the unknown is probably even more primal than the fear of death. Yeah. So uh, basically what I'm saying is um, I would like an adaptation where uh, the ghost of Christmas future is just a, uh, is just like some real cosmic horror hours. Yeah. Cosmic Horror Christmas Carol could actually be pretty fucking interesting. Yeah. You know, in, in, instead of like a skeleton in a shroud, he's just like a ball of like eyeballs and tentacles. <laughs> yeah. What could we do for uh, the other ghosts that would fit into the Cosmic Horror theme? Maybe the, go- the ghost of Christmas past would be just like, uh, I don't know, like discomfort, like a, an embodiment of like discomfort at the sense of eternal recurrence or something. Um, I was actually going to say that, like, the ghost of Christmas present would have to be some sort of disconcerting uh, manifestation of the concept of eternity. Since, uh. you know, we are always in the present, therefore, everything that we can perceive is the present. Therefore, the ghost of Christmas present is everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, if anything, I'd make the ghost of Christmas past, like, some kind of, like, withered old creature. Because, you know, parts of him are, like... How old is the universe? Like four billion years old? Uh, like thirteen or thirteen. Well, the yeah. Earth is like four billion years old. Yeah. Either way, yeah. Though, I mean, to me, like the Ghost of Christmas Past, um, always is more of like a uh, like a it ne- like in most adaptations, the Ghost of Christmas Past is kind of like childlike because it never really ages, you know. Yeah. So this is uh this is our uh, opportunity to subvert that. Okay. You know, the uh, the longer that existence goes on, the older the past gets. I don't know. Well, we'd have to we'd have to hash out some of the details. Yeah, this is a con- consider this a, a pre-alpha uh, pitch. Uh, we 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 we'd like to workshop it. Yeah. Though, if Disney does want to fund us, you know where to send the check. Yeah. Hashtag Disney hire us. Yeah. Um, or you know, so, since since Disney doesn't actually own a Christmas Carol, I'm open to uh, I'm open to paychecks from DreamWorks, Illumination, Sony. You know, I'm I'm not picky so long as the check clears. Yeah, don't know about Blue Sky, but uh, keep them on the table. I mean, their their uh, their their money's as green as anyone's, isn't it? So for something like for something like this, I I don't know. Like 
Who do you think would be the best studio to work on something like this? Leica. Like I, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. Like either yeah, Leica. Did, yeah, it's like um, knee jerk reaction. It's Leica. Yeah, either I was thinking either Leica or like find me the people who did like the Mark Twain clay animation movie from the late eighties. Um, those people eventually became Leica. Okay, well, there we go. Yeah, solved that yeah. problem. Yeah, like the the guy who uh, did uh, the Adventures of Mark Twain. Uh, uh, someone involved with that went on to found Leica, so it's a pretty you know straightforward progression. Okay, so the the yeah. the only the only other uh, thing I would have in mind was if uh, Ralph Bakshi was still in business. Mm. I believe he's effectively retired at this stage. Though a rotoscope version could be pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, that could own. I, I I wouldn't kick that out of bed. So what uh we talked about the three that I would pick. What about you? Um, basically the same, except I would uh, exchange the uh, two thousand uh, what was it two thousand nine version for uh, Mickey's so. Christmas Carol. All right, so we basically had the same list. Yeah, uh, I I would give uh, advantage to Mickey's Christmas Carol for uh. For being know, on both lists. Despite the fact that it's not as terrifying, they do get it. They do successfully convey the entire story in, uh, what, 22 minutes? Something like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a short. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a TV special. So Peg Lake kinda... Pete as uh, the ghost of Christmas future is fun. Yeah, you're just chewing on a fucking giant stogie. As, as Peg Lake Pete does. Yeah. <laughs> Except in the 90s when smoking was no longer cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I don't think he's had the cigar since. Yeah. Yeah. We, just, we, we, we that can't was kind put... of the tail end of when you were still allowed to have uh, cartoon characters smoking. Yeah, we can't put, uh, can't put uh, tobacco in the children's cartoons no more. Yeah. I mean, fuck, man. Back in the 60s, they advertised to, uh, tobacco in children's cartoons. Yeah. You know, uh... The, the Flintstones had a, uh, a Christmas carol of their own, uh, despite the fact that Jesus would not be born for thousands more years. But you know what they did have was Winston cigarettes. <laughs> it's the perfect palate cleanser after a satisfying meal. I just like the idea of uh, Jesus being like a dinosaur who like, you know, quips to the camera like, eh, it's a living. <laughs> <laughs> Pinned to the cross, just shrugs and is like, it's a living. Yeah. Um, so which of these uh, adaptations did you want to kind of dive into first? Should we start with uh, the, the Disney one? Uh, well, the Alistair Sims version is the best. Yeah. I don't I know if you one... want to say best for last, but uh, I've already yeah, said it, though. So it. in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah. So let's go. Yeah. Or, you mean a penny or a hey penny? Well, in the Jim Carrey version, he takes the uh, the pennies off of... Uh, off of Marley's eyes and like rubs them together at uh, the guy at, at the kid and says, Tuppence, Tuppence. <laughs> Which I assume is a reference to Mary Poppins. Um, well, I mean, Tuppence would, you know, it's just like Brit British, you know, two pence. Yeah, but, it, but... It, Mary Poppins had a whole song about the uh, feed the birds, Tuppence a pag. Well, yeah, because the kid has uh, the kid has Tuppence that he's that he wants to put in the bank. And that's what ultimately causes the run on the banks. Yeah, because he wants to feed the birds, but yeah. yeah, I don't know. It it's ostensibly a Disney movie, so that's kind of the first place I went with that. Is 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 it a Disney movie? Uh, the two thousand nine oh, Christmas yeah, Carol. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah, uh, they bought uh, what was the Mechas' company? Rainmaker. That sounds familiar. Something like that. Yeah. It hasn't existed since Mars Needs Mom, so I can't remember what the studio's actual name was. But no, no, that that baby tanked. Sure did. <laughs> but anyways, the nineteen fifty one film. Yeah, this is I would say the best adaptation of uh, of a Christmas Carol that's been put to film. I think that actually this one is the best one overall for reasons that I'll get into in a moment. Sure. Uh, we were actually going through like a box of Christmas stuff earlier and we found no fewer than like five separate versions of uh, a Christmas Carol that we own. We have two versions of uh, this a Christmas Carol, the uh, the original restored black and white version and the colorized version. I don't know how I feel about a colorized version. Restored uh, black and white, sure. I assume it was one of those things around the time when like Turner classic movies was just like buying up all these old movies and colorizing them for reasons that are known only to Ted Turner. Though I mean, I have heard multiple people, you know, kind of say that they don't watch black and white movies. So maybe there is something to it. I mean, I heard that a lot when I was in high school. Is that still a thing? I don't know. Um, Does anybody really watch movies that are more than a couple of years old? Because I mean, I, mean, I feel I, like the I feel like the the main reason for watching a movie is to talk is to uh, talk about it online these days. Well, that's bleak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't say it was a positive thought. I just said it was a thought. <laughs> anyways. Yeah. Anyways. Um. Yeah. I think that uh, what kind of sets this version apart, though, is the there are a couple of things that were added into it that don't appear in other versions of the story that I think really kind of push it over the edge and make it uh, a really much more interesting story. Uh, for example, I can, this version... of, I can think of one thing that was added, but uh, what, you know, um, well, I mean, we, you have like this, uh, like a short, a short scene with uh, Scrooge, like getting dinner after closing up on Christmas Eve. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, it serves to actually like springs to go to a restaurant. Yeah, and he, uh, you know, he's one of the richest men in London, but he, uh, he, you know, refuses to pay extra for more bread. So that yeah, kind he of, demands you know, more is... bread of the waiter, and he says it's like a pence for extra bread. He's like, no bread. Yeah, so that you know, it's it's a kind of you know like further solidifies his character and like you know what he's kind of about and stuff. But yeah. I think that the main thing uh, it was it was that... Dickensian London. It was before uh, the age of uh, unlimited breadsticks. I think the main thing that really uh, the main added like uh, addition that this movie brings to the table is uh, um, it's got the fucking devil in it. <laughs> in a roundabout way, I believe you're correct. Yeah, I just rewatched this the other night and I was like, yeah, uh, Mr. Jorkin is the fucking devil. <laughs> That's what his name is, Mr. Jorkin. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who uh, have not seen this uh, version, um, First of all, I would encourage you to seek it out. It usually plays on a Turner Classic at least once a season. Yeah. And also, I guess, I guess spoilers for uh, one of the most well-known stories in, uh, you know, history. But uh, yeah, there is there is a scene that was added to this uh, that kind of illustrates how uh, both Scrooge and Jacob Marley rose to their position. And basically, the the firm that they were working for uh, was, what did you call it? Like an Enron type situation? Yeah, it was basically a turn of the 19th century Enron. 
Yeah, where uh, they, they, where they one member of company, the board had just like they appeared to be a company who primarily dealt in uh, import exports. Yeah, buying things and selling things. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, one member of the board had basically just uh, you know, gutted the entire country and lined his pockets well, with for, it. Well, for, okay. So first, we int- we're introduced to this character when he's trying to buy out Scrooge's old boss, the lovable Fezziwig. And uh, he's, you know, talk, talking to a, a young Ebenezer Scrooge and he's like, you know, the machines and the, the money and the, the, pro- the progress and all that stuff. It's the wave of the future, kid. And he's like, you know, come and see me sometime. You know, I, you can you can make more money working for me. And so obviously Scrooge eventually goes to work for. Uh, he's Jordan. basically the weirdo in um, Jesus. What was the uh, the the movie with Mrs. Robinson? Oh, the, the Graduate. graduate. Yeah, he's basically the weirdo who just comes up to him at a party and says, the word is plastics. <laughs> well, kind of, but also successful. Uh, so, you know, Scrooge obviously goes to work for Jorkin. And, uh, you know, Jorkin is strongly implied to be, like I said, the devil who literally corrupts uh, Scrooge's soul uh, through the, the, the levers of the market. <laughs> And that's also how Scrooge uh, meets Marley for the first time. Yeah. Uh, is because they are uh, young co-workers. And so, uh, you know, Jorkin eventually appropriates thousands of pounds from the company, like 3,000 pounds, which I guess was like a billion dollars in, you know, 17, uh, in like 1812, whenever this movie takes, whenever that scene takes place. Well, it would have been back when a pound actually meant a pound sterling. So, yeah, a, a, so not, he- a not insurmountable fee. Yeah, he appropriates basically all of the fund's money and then uh, Scrooge and Marley buy out the fund to, uh, you know, alleviate the debt. And that's how they become like the, the richest men in like among the richest men in London. So meanwhile, over the course of this scene, we're literally watching uh, like Ebenezer Scrooge's like the corruption of Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, while Beelzebub boss here is just like uh, is just like mugging for the camera, just laughing it up. Yeah, yeah. They, they I think they got like a pretty skilled comedic actor for the role because he's yeah. He, uh, well, the, this movie they're, talk, they're talking about actor. him like you know basically you know doing enough uh, financial crime to like pretty much put him in like the gallows. Uh, they they they, they say laughing. that verbatim he's, that you'll hang for this. Yeah, and he uh, he's just laughing his ass off because he's like, you can't touch me. Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of the actors in this were comedic. Uh, Alistair Sims, uh, for sure, was uh, best known as a comedic actor outside of this role. Yeah, and I mean, you get to see him do a lot of like you know physical comedy, especially towards the end of the movie when he uh, wakes up on Christmas. Uh, which I, which you know, uh, having rewatched the Jim Carrey version recently, I I definitely see Jim Carrey, uh, Jim Carrey, uh, channeling Alistair Sims. He's got he's got good uh good presence on the on the on the in this like in in every scene that he's in. Yeah, uh, we we talked about this a little bit at one point uh, uh, off the record, and uh, aside from these a uh, couple of uh, additions, basically our uh, our praise from this for this movie boils down to it just works. Yeah, it simply is the Charles Dickens story. Yeah, I think that this a, one like, probably is most of like does the best at trying to actually capture the the char- the original Charles Dickens story. I think that it, this one is the most effective at doing it. Yeah, it's just the book uh, distilled down into like a hundred minute movie. Yeah. 
and it's like a hundred page book too. So, you know, it fits. Yeah. Uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, moving, uh, moving right along. Yep. Uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol, slight change of pace from our last adaptation. A bit, no, but not as not, much as you would not think. Not as much as you would think. Yeah. This one obviously filmed several decades later. Uh, uh, 1992, a, I believe. Yeah. Um, obviously, as the name implies, most of the cast are Muppets. Our uh, Scrooge, however, is uh, so Michael, Michael Caine. Caine. Yeah. Oi. I'm having a Scrooge in it. And uh, he is uh, just wonderful as Scrooge. I, I would say, I, I love the Muppets, but I would say that Michael Caine is the best part of this movie. Yeah. Well, because he does a pretty good job of actually being rather imposing and kind of intimidating through the film. I mean, he had a few villainous roles in the past. Like he played uh, Hitman and that sort of thing here and there. He wasn't always just, you know, lovable Cockney fellow. No, yeah, but I mean, just the presence that he carries on the screen. Like when they first introduce him, you know, they're uh, with his own villain song. Yeah, he has his own villain song and you don't really see him. You see kind of like basically his shadow, like slinking through the, you know, the back streets of London as people sing about how awful he is. Yeah, here comes Mr. Humbug. Here comes Mr. Grimm. If they gave a prize for being mean, the winner would be him. Yeah. And as they're singing this, like I said, you just see like this black fig, like black shadow just moving through the alleys. And you're just like, damn, they're doing a pretty good job of making this guy seem like like a literal fucking monster. And, you know, of of course, all of the uh, the Muppet stuff is great. Uh, Gonzo yeah. and Rizzo are the narrators just like reading Dickens's text and occasionally yeah. even providing commentary on it. Yeah, and uh, what what are the two old guys, Statler and and uh, Waldorf? Waldorf, yeah, they yeah. play uh, his old his deceased partners, uh, Jacob and Robert Marley. Yep, Jacob and Bob Marley. Yep. Um, their their song kind of goes off too. They yeah they uh and I don't know like this movie just has like a thousand great gags like when we see uh, Scrooge in his childhood and his teacher is Sam Eagle imploring him not to tip the driver <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. And and uh, at one point he's like, it is the American way. And then uh, Gonzo whispers and he says, oh, it, it is, is the, the British, British way. way. Yeah. Just like uh, just like the Muppets when they were great. They uh, like just the way that the film looks, everything is actually pretty like pretty well shot and like pretty bright. And it's very well shot and very well choreographed since, you know, obviously the Muppets are, in fact, puppets. So you have to, you know, be very conscious of how you're going to shoot them in order to make them look like actual creatures. Yeah. Like clearly a lot of thought and a lot of hard work went into making this Muppet Christmas Carol. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I think that this movie actually doesn't get as much respect as it probably should. It really because, doesn't know. Cause like, you know, you hear the Muppet Christmas Carol and you're like, all right, here, here we fucking go. And you think it's going to be like, you know, just kind of schlocky shit, whatever. Um, but and it wasn't the, always the case because the, the original Muppet movie actually won an Oscar uh, for a uh, best original song. Yeah. So, but you I know, mean, like, like back- when you hear, when you hear something like the Muppet Christmas Carol, I, you know, like, the image that comes to mind is like, you know, WWE Scooby-Doo crossovers. Yeah. Um, I feel like it, I don't know. Was it that way in 1992? I, I don't think, been... I don't think so. No, like we hadn't gotten uh, to that point yet. 
So, but I think it's co- kind of colored retro retroactively. Yeah, uh, actually, Dad and I were talking like a couple days ago. It's like the Muppets was one of those things that just like everyone did, you know. Johnny Cash sang a duet with Miss Piggy. Uh, Alice Cooper was on a couple of times. Vincent Price was on, you know, just like the Muppets was just like an institution back then uh, in a way that it really isn't anymore. No. Yeah. Well, back back in the day, they were like a late night show or or not not late night, but like, you know, it was a spoof of late night shows. Yeah. So, you know, everybody loved it. Yeah, you do uh, the Muppets uh, in in the morning and like uh, Carson in the afternoon. And then it would all air at night. Are, uh, yeah, you meant filming them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I thought you meant like, well, you couldn't watch The Tonight Show in the afternoon because it was... Yeah, I meant schedule-wise. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I, I just miss the Muppets. Uh, yeah. Disney... I feel like Disney acquiring the Jim Henson company was a mistake since nothing that they've done since they acquired it has really they made had this any after traction. They acquired it. This, I, was I, post, this was after the Disney acquisition. Was it? Yeah, because I think they acquired the Muppets in like 1990, I want to yeah. say. Because it was like right after, I think it was like right after, I think it was like right after Jim Henson died. Yeah, didn't he die in like 93, 94? okay actually no disney bought the muppets in 2004 okay so i was right yeah but no jim henson did did still die in like 1990 i think in any case uh clearly someone was still at the company who you know knew how jim henson would do things uh once once disney acquired the company the last things i remember are the, the the muppet tv series from a few years ago that like lasted I want to say like eight episodes and then was unceremoniously canceled. Yeah. It was kind of like a Muppets parody of 30 rock pretty much. Yeah. Which, which, uh, which makes sense in a sense because uh, the original Muppet show was kind of a parody of late night shows. Yeah. That's why when I first heard about it, I was like, I don't know. I'd watch it, but But it didn't last long enough to watch. (laughs) Yeah. uh, It just didn't really capture uh, the same lightning in a bottle of the original. Yeah, and they did a couple of movies. Uh, first one did okay. The second one went nowhere. And they basically just sat on the uh, the property since then, doing not much of anything with it. Uh, they made a new restaurant at uh, Disney World. <laughs> yeah, I think someone about, did I think tell me it. that they that there's a new Muppet series out on Disney Plus, but I haven't watched it, and I haven't yeah heard looking, anyone say anything about it. So I'm looking not looking at even that right sh- now. It's called Muppets Now. And it's like, uh, I think they're shorts. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll okay, give them no, a it watch. Says running, it says running time 22 to 24 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ba- basically nothing where... that Disney has ever done with the with the Muppets has ever matched um, the Muppets in their prime. No, I mean, of course, obviously not. Do, do kids these days even know what the Muppets are? You know, I don't know that a lot of them do. Yeah, I mean, you know, used to be a lot of them knew what Sesame Street was, at least, which was also another uh, Jim Henson joint. But then it all went to, uh, I want to say, Apple Plus. I think uh, I think uh, Sesame Street's on HBO. Like, I think it eventually does. Like, the way that they worked it out is that it eventually does make its way to PBS, but it debuts on, uh, like, new episodes debut on HBO. Yeah, who whoever has it. That really rubbed me the wrong way since... 
the whole conceit of Sesame Street was to be like supplemental educational programming for kids who were in school districts that were not very good. Yeah. So hiding it behind a paywall until like six months later, just kind of like, man, fuck you. Anyway, we're kind of getting off track here. <laughs> yeah, that story broke like three years ago and I'm still salty about it. So, yeah. Anything else to say about the Muppet uh, Christmas Carol? Not really, no. Okay. And uh, we already talked at a, uh, a fairly good length about uh, the uh, the 2009 uh, special. Uh, do you have anything about the uh, the Mickey Christmas special? I don't really have a whole lot to say about that one. It's like, it's good, but it's kind of good in like a competent way where nothing particularly stands out. It's just, you know, it's the Mickey Mouse characters, you know, like Mickey, Minnie, you know, Scrooge McDuck, uh, all those kind of guys. Um, yeah, I kind of gave it credit for just like effectively and efficiently capturing the gist of the story in 22 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's efficient uh, nothing particularly special stands out about it but it's you know it's it's good it's enjoyable if it if, you know i could i could easily pop it on and be like yeah this is a good way to spend you know a half hour word um before we go to break there is something i wanted I've, I've 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 been wanting to get into so um yeah i'm i'm looking over it right now and it's actually more incredible than i had thought but um in 2008 there was a little movie called an american carol yeah alternatively released as big fat important movie in certain territories <laughs> starred big fat important movie for make profit glorious nation of america yeah starred kevin farley kelsey Grammer, john voigt Robert Davi, Trace Atkins, Dennis Hopper, and Leslie Nielsen. And okay. what it is, is... So, the uh, the listed uh, storyline. At a 4th of July barbecue, Gramps tells the kids the story of Michael Malone, a documentary filmmaker and Michael Moore lookalike who hates America and wants to abolish 4th of July. He refuses <laughs> to celebrate with his nephew Josh, who's shipping out soon to the Middle East. That night, Michael has a vision of his hero, John F. Kennedy, who predicts that three ghosts will visit Michael. Sure enough, General Patton, George Washington, and country music star Trace Atkins vision Michael to show him the fruits of patriotism, just wars, and pacifism. <laughs> Meanwhile, Arab terrorists want Malone to help them with a propaganda film. Is he the next Lenny Riefenstahl or will he see the light? Awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have not seen this movie, but it. I don't it, think that anybody has. It came up in my uh, research of, you know, Christmas Carol adaptations, of which this is technically one, I guess. Yeah. And um, oh, we had to just goodness. do like a fucking riff track of this. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of glad that I didn't get the chance to watch this because I want to watch this like with an audience, you know, 
with 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 the boys with the with the lads yeah lads because i i feel like uh this is going to be like the blood freak of uh fourth of july movies yeah i'm sorry independence day i i don't want to play with you anymore (laughs) (laughs) i have a new favorite fourth of july movie (laughs) yeah i'm just looking over the uh the cast list um there is uh literally a character who's just credited as muhammad so i'm sure that's going to get horribly (laughs) offensive oh shit so is mussolini mussolini's in the movie Well, they name dropped Lenny Riefenstahl in the fucking uh, description. And Trace Atkins is credited as Angel of Death slash Trace Atkins. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Most baffling one is uh, Mark Vavides, who is credited as Look Out! Exclamation point. It's those Christians! Exclamation point. That is his credited huh. character name. All right. <laughs> I, I don't know what this movie is, but I'm very excited to find out. It is, I do find it kind of charming that for like a certain segment of the uh, like the right wing, uh, Michael Moore is still like their boogeyman. I mean, uh, Jesus, uh, this movie was 2008, so I don't know if he still is, but I mean, I, yeah, I don't think I don't think as much as he was, but like even 2008, like, you know, the tides had turned like you know the tides had really turned on the uh the iraq war by 2008 yeah 2008 obama was being sworn into office um everyone had kind of uh well that happened in 2009 but but everyone had kind of realized that uh the uh, whole invasion of iraq was a bad football yeah this is um something to keep uh get we're gonna put a pin in that one Honestly, my greatest fear for this movie is that it ends up just being fucking boring. Yeah, that is a concern. But I I have faith. We can we hope for a 4th of July miracle. <laughs> well, on that note, um, I think we're going to go to break for a moment. Uh, what do you say? Sounds good. All right. Uh, we'll be back after uh, this message from our Christmas sponsors. Sometimes it's hard to pick the right gift idea for somebody special. There's one present that's right for everybody. Gift certificates from McDonald's. 50 cents each. $5 for the book of 10. Merry Christmas. So we talked a good good clip about Christmas Carol. And what we could do is just talk about, you know, some other uh, well-beloved Christmas classics. But I don't want to. No, I think I I feel like a lot of that ground has probably been tread. So let's talk about some real shitty Christmas movies. Yeah, I'm down. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but kind of like my new Christmas tradition is saving Christmas. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. My new favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we watched this with a couple of friendos uh, a couple years ago, I think. Yeah, this would have been yeah, because it was a cup. It was like two apartments ago, so it was like 2018 for me. Something like that, yeah. And uh, I don't know. Um, how would you break down uh, "Saving Christmas"? Alternative title: Kirk Cameron's "Saving Christmas." So, what Kirk Cameron was going for 
is well not a, kirk cameron but technically his brother-in-law who is the director of the movie yes his brother-in-law noted uh director of blink 182 music videos yeah back in the day so what he was going for was basically a uh okay well a, actually let me preface pretty, it. pretty pretty uh place uh pretty great uh blatant uh propaganda piece and uh let me but before you go any further let me preface it uh to say um when it was announced that Kirk Cameron was doing a movie called Saving Christmas, we all had in our heads an idea of what it was going to be about. You know, I had no idea. Uh, I think most of us thought it was going to be very much a war on Christmas type movie. That's not exactly what we got. Not quite. No, I think what the because, I mean, in the past decade, there's been that big trend of uh, like Christ exploitation. Yeah, uh, starting with uh, God's Not Dead, I want to say with uh, Kevin um, well, Sol- I don't think it started. I don't. It. I don't think it started with God's Not Dead, but that's where it really took off and became a trend. Uh, it's where the, it's where they showed you could make some uh, some big money for. Well, this this came this movie came out the same year as God's Not as the first God's Not Dead movie, I believe. They were both twenty fourteen. Did it really? Yeah. So, but. More to the point that that you know that's kind of beside the point. Yeah, um, sure. This you know this was like a uh, part of that wave of Christian exploitation that came out over the last decade or so, and which I don't believe ever formally ended. I think it all just kind of went to streaming now instead of theaters. Yeah, well, pure. I think Pureflix launched their own streaming service now. Yeah, I think that didn't go anywhere. Okay. Well, I could be I could be wrong, but I think that uh, failed almost immediately. Yeah, that's a shame because they uh, they uh, underestimated the cost of actually running a streaming service rather than just like making a piece of shit movie for the change that they could find in their couch, and then you know. Yeah, they they launched a streaming service, and then we're like, oh no, I'm a moron. <laughs> I actually have to pay to maintain this. <laughs> Netflix makes it look so easy. Sure does. Um, so in the, in their defense, you know, lots of, lots of bigger names thought that they could also, uh, run streaming services. Uh, remember DC nation. Yeah. But they just kind of Warner just kind of took that and like merged it together with like 10 other streaming services to make HBO max. Yeah. Because they realized that no one gave enough of, gave enough of a shit about the Snyderverse to subscribe to a whole streaming service about it. Nope. I did want I do want to watch Doom Patrol, but yeah, I wasn't going to stri- sign up for DC Nation for it. Anyway, um, so this was Saving Christmas was one of those sort of uh, Christ exploitation movies that popped up in the last decade, and it's about the it's the director is playing a character in the film. And he's playing Kirk Cameron's grumpy brother-in-law, and he's a guy who honestly is probably more in touch with the spiritual vacuum of contemporary Christmas than anybody else in the fucking movie. Like yeah, he feels he's, how uh, hollow and desacralized all of this shit is. He's, yeah, he's his, having like his, a spiritual crisis. He's having a spiritual crisis because he's looking around at all of like the, uh, the trappings of Christmas and being like all of this shit and my big house and my happy family, all of this is dog shit when there's misery and suffering in the world, but don't worry, Kirk, motherfucking cameron is here to have a a one-on-one bro chat with him for a fucking hour in the front seat of their suv where kirk cameron is a very car ranty movie (laughs) 
yeah, Kirk Cameron explains over the course of this long, meandering, weird, weird rant how actually all of the trappings that we associate with uh, like uh, sort of, you know, early 21st century consumer Christmas holidays uh, observances are actually good. And that's where Jesus is from. Yeah. Okay. So um, there is a bit uh, early on where uh, the, uh, the main character uh, Christian. Yes. His name is Christian. Uh, yeah. Uh, really played by Darren Doan. Also the writer and director, and I believe real life brother-in-law of Kirk Cameron. Uh, he uh, says, you know, he kind of like looks out at like all these lights and these presents and this food. And he just kind of goes like, you know, how many wells could we have dug? How many, you know, villages could we have provided food for? Yeah, and he's got like a he's kind of like living in like a McMansion uh, suburb. And he's kind of just like having that moment of that moment of uh, like clarity where it all turns to ash in his mouth. Because Yeah, yeah, that's what he's having. He's like kind of like having a rare moment that like probably no one in real life actually has where they realize that all this is bullshit and it's totally incongruous with their uh, act with their stated beliefs. Yeah. Yeah, he's the only actually like sp- like spiritually- he, he's the one sane man. Yeah, he's the one insane man. But don't worry, Kirk Cameron's here to fix him. <laughs> yeah, and Kirk says, like, I hear you, buddy. And, uh, you know, they, like, do, like, an awkward fist bump. And then Kirk Cameron just is like, but the only thing is, you're all wrong. That's a direct quote from the fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he literally said that. And then he goes on to explain how all of this, like, excess is not only, like, Fine, yeah, all of this but actually like, has biblical like uh, rationales behind it and yeah, it's all just of the, so... all of this like all of this like commodity commodity fetishism and greed and uh all of like obsession with material this is all good actually the the thing that sticks with me is like when he's talking about like now imagine a tree and imagine all of the presents stacked up around this tree yes. And then imagine how this line of presence looks like the skyline of Jerusalem. And I'm just like, what on God's green earth are you talking about, Kirk? Yeah, that was probably the most the most breathtaking moment because Christian, having been redeemed by the by in the church of Kirk. Uh, in, in the church of capitalism throws, he really literally throws the doors of the house open and belly flops and slides across like the uh the marble floor up to the up to the christmas tree and he is literally just sitting there marveling at the presence in front of it because the presence supposedly look like the uh skyline of like bethlehem or something uh, I mean, for me, the most breathtaking thing was what happens immediately after that uh, when the movie just kind of the 20 minute DreamWorks dance party. Yeah, it just kind of ends with a uh, hip hop breakdance party a la a DreamWorks film. Yeah, yeah. It was like Kirk Cameron didn't know how to end this movie, so he just made it a, a dance party. Uh, it was either that minutes. or like the flashback to the historical St. Nicholas just beating people to death and then going out to distribute presents. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, there's no bad moments in this movie. It's all gold. I'll say this about this movie that I can't say. You know what? It is a breathtaking uh, look 
into a very American mind. Yeah, it's like um, if no one has written an academic paper about this, like, you know, you know fuck it, oh, I'll uh, do it. Yeah, I know what I'm doing this Christmas. If, if, if I ever finish up my degree and like I have to give a thesis or whatever, I'm just like doing a deep dive on Kirk Cameron saving Christmas. Yeah. So what, what, what were you going to say a second ago? Uh, something just about like Santa Claus beating the shit into people. Yeah. Like this movie was shot for like $5. So like 90% of it takes place in the, uh, the front seat of uh, Darren Doan's car. Yeah, and when they actually have to do a flashback to the yeah, historic... they even had to, they they couldn't even afford to shoot the second act in his fucking house. They had to shoot it in his car. Yeah, <laughs> but when they have to do a flashback to like the historical Saint Nicholas, they spend like on a deeply uncomfortable length of time just focusing on his eyes as they slowly pan out, and then just like see him like cracking his knuckles yeah he does the, he does the cla- he does the crack like classic like cracking your knuckles together like i'm gonna deck your halls bub move while kirk cameron talks about how saint nicholas was a bad dude yeah and bad like, in like bad in the, like the 1987 sense meaning good yeah and supposedly this was based on like an actual story from like one of the nicene councils or something yeah, he's talking. Yeah, he's talking about how uh, it, it, he was relaying it like a uh, kind of like a story about like Saint Nicholas at the Nicene Council just beating savagely beating. Yeah, someone someone said someone said like maybe Jesus wasn't the Son of God, so uh, Saint Nicholas just beat him within an yeah. inch of his life. Yeah, it's Kirk Cameron just basically like waxing about how uh, Saint Nicholas like just beating a bunch of Gnostics to death, and then going out to deliver presents. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you, 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 you kind of said it with breathtaking. Kirk Cameron might actually be the literal fucking demiurge. Eh. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, the IMDb page right now, and um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the thumbnail for the trailer is just like Kirk with his eyes kind of squinty and smiling, but it's like shot from like a low angle, so it's just kind of like looking down on you. He's like, Ugh. isn't he like about to beat you with a giant candy cane or something? I feel like he's about to give me a one-liner and then kill me. Yeah, like, let's see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's got... Okay, well, first of all, his face is kind of sideways, so that's fucked up. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> like, his, his face is not, not working with the angle of his head. Uh, but he's also got, like... He's, like, brandishing a giant candy cane over his head that he's gonna, like, fucking beat me with. And, yeah, it's, it's Kirk Cameron, like like tr- like running directly at you uh in like it, like his the sole of his sneaker is like you know coming towards your face and well, hang on what are you looking at are you looking at just the movie poster yeah uh go look it up on imdb and tell me what you see oh you were looking at the thumbnail the thumbnail for the trailer yeah okay yeah well i don't know kirk uh that that why is he making that face <laughs> because he is about to murder us yeah, but just looking at the uh, looking at the poster, it's Kirk Cameron uh, running directly at you. Um, he's brandishing a candy cane that he's going to beat you with. In the other arm, he's holding a snow globe with the nativity in it. And behind him is like a vortex, like tornado of Christmas trees and presents and literal hundred dollar bills and a credit card. And the tagline, put Christ back in Christmas. 
Does it though? Does it accomplish no. that? No, not at all. Because in this one hour, 19 minute movie, it spends like an uncomfortable amount of time talking about Jesus, but also not talking about Jesus at all. No, uh, Kirk Cameron saving Christmas really is kind of like a, uh, a, a distilled microcosm of like contemporary American Christianity because it's basically just a hour and 20 minute justification of why um, I have, you know, all of the things that I have are actually good and Jesus wants me to have them. Like yeah. I'm rich because Jesus wants me to be that way. Yeah. I once heard it said that American Christians don't actually worship God or Jesus or whatever they worship America. And this is yeah. basically that as a movie. Yeah. Well, they like, worship. Yeah. They were ultimately they worship themselves, but they worship America. They worship America kind of like as a, you know, material framework for that. And Darren Dorn as the character Christian is basically playing like the straw Christian who is telling you, hey, maybe don't get into all of this excess because yeah, maybe it's, like it, it's bad and stupid. Yeah, maybe and he uh, ends up being the main antagonist of the movie. Yeah. No, yeah. Kirk Cameron saves Christmas by explaining to you why it's good, why the prosperity gospel is good. And actually, God wants you to have. Uh, all of the, the the wealth that you've accrued. So, yeah, this movie is modern day classic. Eleven out of ten. Yeah, this movie is an experience. Um, nothing we can say can uh, ever truly match up to just watching it. So I I encourage you to seek it out. I implore um, you, preferably steal it. Uh, don't. Actually, no. I take that back. Do buy this movie. Because yeah, I, give I Kirk want Cameron this... enough money to make Saving Christmas too. Yeah, give this weirdo money so he can keep making this, this like insane bullshit product. Yeah, because Kirk Cameron, bad person, but he makes some of the most interesting media that I've seen in the last uh, ten ish years. Yeah. I'm, I'm I, like I'm not gonna lie. It's it, it was one of the most it, like that was one of the most fun times I've ever had watching a Christmas movie, or or any movie. It was, this was a genuine like cats type experience for me. Yeah, I feel like I might have fucked up. Ten out of ten on IMDb right now. <laughs> I feel like I might have fucked up by starting out with like the 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 strongest contender first. Cause... Yeah. What even can we introduce to top save? Well, I mean, nothing can top saving Christmas. So, what can we what can we churn out to rival it? Um, well, it's it's simultaneously more bizarre and less bizarre. But we could always talk about Santa Claus. That one kind of exists in a similar space, not as um clearly perverse, but uh, similar space. Uh. If anything, it's more baffling uh, because, uh, you know, Kirk Cameron, he's he's been crazy for years. Uh, he's 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 the same guy who went on TV talking about how, like, the banana is proof of intelligent design. And if uh, evolution was really real, then we'd have like crocodiles walking around. Santa Claus is far more mysterious. Santa Claus, the movie like with a Tim Allen movie. No, not the Tim Allen movie. Uh the uh oh, David the Huddleston movie. movie. Uh 
beyond like, <laughs> I don't remember that one too distinctly beyond just the opening like 15 minutes of Santa playing the organ as he laughs and watches all of the children from all over the world um what even happens in that movie after that because like after that I was just like I don't know man it's all just kind of washing over me at this point aka Santa Claus versus the devil yep a 1959 Mexican Christmas movie that, you know, well, it's, it, it delivers it's, what it promises. It's exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, says a synopsis given with the aid of Merlin, Santa Claus must defeat the evil machinations of the devil pitch to ruin Christmas. Well, they say the devil pitch, but actually like pitch is just like a minor demon working for the actual Satan. And yeah. uh, um, I, I, you know, I, cause like, I don't really remember too much about this movie beyond the opening of uh, Santa Claus. Uh, it, this, this is the one with Santa Claus, like sitting at the organ, like watching all of the children from around the world. Right. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's pretty infamous for being uh, featured on mystery science theater. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. So that is very likely the only reason why this movie is remembered at all. But yeah, Satan dispatches uh, the devil pitch to uh, ruin Christmas. And if he fails, he will be punished by being forced to eat ice cream. Meanwhile, Santa is on the moon getting ready to make his uh, his uh, regular, you know, Christmas Eve run uh, with the help of Merlin and his team of robot reindeer. As one does. <laughs> As one does. The this did just lead me onto a uh, another movie um, called Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny. True. Which says when uh, Santa's sleigh gets stuck in Florida, he tells a group of kids the story of Thumbelina, you know, as one does. And that's all you got? Uh, that's the only information I'm available to find yeah, that I'm finding here. Yeah. Okay, so like storyline things on IMDb are written by fans, but I'm going to read this one anyways because it's like, despite being not official, it's a trip. Yeah. Santa Claus, high above the North Pole in his cloud-borne castle equipped with more surveillance devices than the Impossible Mission Force, prepares to deliver presents on Christmas night. Santa is especially interested in helping Lupita, the daughter of a poor family who wants nothing more than a doll and a young boy whose parents are so wealthy that they never spend time with him. Santa fixes this by feeding them pan-galactic garble blasters. However, the devil will have none of this and sends his minion Pitch to foil Santa's plans. Pitch in turn recruits three naughty boys to help him set traps for Santa. All right. <laughs> Rated G. Was, it, was this rated? I feel and like this what, was before ratings. That's what it's telling me, rated G. Well, on the poster, it does promise all, all the weird and wonderful characters of make-believe. Sure does. That wasn't the, uh, you know, obviously only uh, Christmas movie to be featured on MST3K. Which other one are you referencing? Uh, the one I was referencing was, of course, uh, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Uh, a movie that Another, I saw uh, in theaters, and I think you saw it with me. Possibly. When... Uh, the Tampa Theater did a a, a whole a whole to do uh, like I don't know five ten years ago. 
where they uh they played Santa Claus Conquers the Martians in its entirety uh and interspersed it with a bunch of uh you know random old Christmas cartoons and bumpers and things of that nature. I don't think I saw that one. Yeah. Uh, well. Um I mean it sounds good but yeah I don't I I don't think I caught that one. Well you're at least aware of Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, actually five years older than the uh, the Mexican Santa Claus movie, but it's uh, much more infamous as, you know, the the batshit Christmas movies go. Indeed, yeah. Worried that their children have become obsessed with television shows from Earth, which extol the virtues of Santa Claus, Martians begin an expedition to Earth to kidnap the one and only Santa Claus. While on Earth... They kidnap two lively children that lead the group of Martians to the North Pole and Santa Claus. The Martians then take Santa and the two children back to Mars with them. Voldar, a particularly grumpy Martian, attempts to do away with the children and Santa Claus before they get there, but their leader, Lord Kimar, stops him. When they arrive on Mars, Santa, with the help of the two Earth children and a rather simple-minded Martian lackey, overcome the martians by bringing fun happiness and christmas cheer to the children of mars and that children is how santa claus conquered the martians yes with uh with uh with good cheer and toys at very affordable prices yes Hmm. yeah i mean i don't really know if i have too much to say about this one just because like i think it's it's been a uh it's been at least a decade since i've seen this movie and, and like I said, uh, the Mystery Science Theater crew uh, already did an entire episode uh, riffing on it. So yeah, so this this skeleton's been pretty uh, is pretty clean. So yeah, it's no uh, an American Carol where I think we actually might have first uh, first dibs on this one. American Carol. Yeah, the 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 the, the Fourth of July show with uh, Michael Moore that oh, we talked about yeah. like twenty minutes ago. Okay. Well, yeah, I didn't remember what that one was called. <laughs> so uh, what uh, what what else you got? Um, it's the last one I have. So unless you had anything, I suppose we would use this one to play ourselves out. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I wasn't really bringing anything to the table on this round. So, uh, it's something we alluded to briefly a couple weeks ago, but, uh, jingle all the way. Hmm. A truly terrible movie that somehow got a sequel and has lived rent free in our collective uh unconscious for the last uh 20 odd years yeah this was a pretty good one i mean a pretty shit one uh i mean you get to see uh uh arnold schwarzenegger like (laughs) banging on a glass window screaming about the screaming the names of all of the uh yeah you get to see that as the uh radio dj immediately just reaches for the phone and starts calling the cops so that's pretty good yeah you have uh sinbad accidentally blowing up a bunch of cops yeah because he pulled a random package out of his bag and threatened that it was a bomb only for it to turn out to actually be one and that was really a bomb he just just blows up a room full of cops and then uh you know the movie proceeds you have the big show yeah yeah, uh, being the uh, holy hell into Arnold Schwarzenegger. Hey, he's going to deck his halls. Yeah, it's uh, one of my favorite uh, lines in any Christmas movie ever. And what what was the deal? Like, what was the deal they got? Like, they got because in the middle of their fight, they got uh, broken up by like the cops raiding them. 
So like, were they? Yeah, what was it uh, like counterfeit toys or something? Yeah, that that seems to be the thing. Is uh, he got a tip that he could buy a uh, a uh, what was it, Turbo Man doll from this like shady warehouse where everyone dresses as Santa Claus for no particular reason, and then they yeah. got busted by the cops for uh, selling uh, bootleg toys. And Arnold gets away by using a bootleg police badge. Yeah, there. I mean, this is this movie is it. This like the the story of this movie is not especially interesting, but it's a lot of those like uh, it's a lot of those side things like that. Where like it's, Phil Hartman trying to fuck Schwarzenegger's wife. Yeah, that and uh, well, no, that's that's one of the boring parts. Uh, it's it's pretty fun. Uh, just like watching Phil Hartman just like grin and mug it and talking about how he's gonna eat uh Schwarzenegger's wife's cookies, and then Schwarzenegger just yelling at him to put those cookies down. <laughs> okay, yeah, I did forget about that part. Um, but yeah, I was I was thinking more just like you know, the occasional scene where yeah you stumble into a warehouse full of uh, criminal Santas, run by and- Jim Belushi. Yeah, one of one of whom happens to be a uh, a giant. Also, Arnold gets a jetpack. Sure does. Technology and which um, I think he, barely exists now. Yeah, he gets a jetpack and he uses it to beat the shit out of Sinbad. Yeah, it's it's a it's a delightful romp, shall we say? Is it? <laughs> I don't know. This 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 movie's uh pretty uh irredeemable. And as I mentioned, it did get a sequel. Yeah, but was that did any of the original cast return for it? I don't even I don't know if a sequel even got a theatrical release. Nope, sure didn't. Uh yeah, Schwarzenegger was replaced by Larry the Cable Guy, you may remember. I most certainly do not remember. <laughs> well, it happened in uh the year of our Lord 2014. So twenty yeah. years after the original. Yeah. What can I say but ugh. On-air promotion from WWE occurred on a weekly basis uh, leading up to it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, because it was a WWE film. And they couldn't even get the big show back? <laughs> nope. Under critical response, the only thing that's here is uh, David Schilling of Vice wrote, What's actually insidious about the whole endeavor is that it's so good at being so bad. <laughs> eh. How does he feel about surfing penguins? Uh, how does he feel about fish milk? <laughs> the WWE brand has fallen a ways, y'all. Yeah, I mean, I mean it was never high it was never highbrow entertainment to begin with. But it was a billion-dollar company at one point. Well, I think a lot of people still watch wrestling, don't they? Yeah, but now they there was there was like a solid like ten to fifteen year period where they had no meaningful competition, and now actually they have competition. Yeah, uh, Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega's uh, AEW uh, wrestling is uh, steadily creeping up there actually surpasses uh wwe in everything except for the women's division where uh wwe just still has a lot of the uh the best wrestling all-stars in that category presided over by a real life norman osborne (laughs) but yeah i feel like wwe's uh star is gonna continue to fade and you know 
probably AEW and a mix of other things are going to rise to take its place. Yeah, I don't know if it'll ever go away, but. I mean, yeah. Televised wrestling has been around for less than 100 years, so. Yeah, televised everything has been around for less than 100 years. Yeah, so it's, I think, a mistake to think that anything uh, will ever not go away. Yeah. Well, I didn't mean like literally never. It's just, you know, I I have trouble imagining the sport of popular wrestling, uh, you know, like popular choreographed wrestling. and as Sports like, entertainment, they call it. Yeah, I have a hard time imagining sports entertainment uh, being around without the WWE. John Cena still a thing? I remember him from the memes. Sort of, but not really. Yeah. Yeah, I think I last uh, paid attention to wrestling in... Uh, 2001 so it's been it's been a while I'm not exactly up on the on the latest of the kayfabe yeah john cena has been in it for about 20 years which is about 15 about years shelf. longer yeah, than shelf. most wrestlers last yeah he's pushing his shelf life yeah well anyway yeah i mean we tend to just like end most of our uh cast just like talking about wrestling so yeah <laughs> want to call it a night yeah I think so. All right. Well, my name is Ness. And David. And uh, the next episode, we will be back with more horror-themed holiday content. Probably. Maybe. Depends on if we stay on topic. It, it, it may eventually devolve into wrestling, but the plan right now is to talk some holiday horrors. Anyway. Have a good... I don't know. Will this episode go up before Christmas? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, do one of those. Thank you.